Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, James Spencer on artificial intelligence and helping us think biblically about it. Artificial intelligence is to some degree a tool that is unlike a hammer or a fork, Mm -hmm. right? It sort of it, it sort of plays back on us and influences us in ways that are different than a hammer and a fork. Um, but it, it is a tool to try to overcome some of the challenges that we see as humanity. The problem with it is that because fallen humanity is creating it, they're ignoring the solution that has already been given. James Spencer, next. Potential concerns and latest developments of artificial intelligence, or AI, are constantly in the news and being commented on. One of the thoughtful voices helping Christians think about and navigate this technology is Dr. James Spencer, president of the D.L. Moody Center and author of the helpful new guide, 20 Questions, Christian Resistance, Technology, and Artificial Intelligence. Dr. Spencer, first tell us about the D.L. Moody Center and your mission there. D.L. Moody Center really exists to invite people to consider the life, faith, and legacy of Dwight L. Moody. Uh, Dwight Moody was a uh, a 19th century evangelist. He reached the world for Christ. But uh, while it's certainly appropriate to call him an evangelist, he was also very interested in building the church. He started multiple schools, including uh, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, but also Northfield Seminary for Girls and Mount Hermon School for Boys, mm. which were both boarding schools that trained young men and women in uh, the Bible, but also in, you know, sort of the normal academic disciplines like English, math, science, those kind of things. And so D.L. Moody was uh, very much interested in building up the church, and he did a lot of that in Northfield, Massachusetts, where the D.L. Moody Center is located. He actually built a 2,300-seat auditorium in a town of about 2,500, hmm. uh, where he held summer conferences and uh, and prayer meetings and a variety of other events to really strengthen the church, draw Christians together for prayer, for worship, and for studying the scriptures. Okay, well, tell us about this book, The 20 Questions, and what led you to write it, and how it fits within the mission of the Moody Center. Certainly, yeah. So the D.L. Moody Center for the last several years has uh, put on a campaign called the Go Dark, Shine Bright program. And the Go Dark, Shine Bright campaign is really about uh, taking 10 days off of social media, taking 10 days away from the stories that the world tells, that are increasingly denying God and and denying his word to really spend time in the scriptures and in prayer and reconnect with God over those 10 days. And so as we were sort of dealing with this issue of technology and trying to help people figure out how to grow in their relationship with Christ, grow spiritually, we ran across artificial intelligence. It's hard not to these days. And so artificial intelligence became one of these big issues that people were really asking questions about. What is it that we do with artificial intelligence? What is it? How does it work? And so what I did was I put together a 20 questions booklet, having interacted with ChatGPT, which is one of the main uh, artificial intelligence platforms. I got in there, spent a few days, uh, sort of a few collective days, I suppose, Mm -hmm. uh, asking it questions, probing its answers. And so a lot of the questions in the booklet, if if folks download it, what they'll see is my interactions with ChatGPT. 
in the uh, subtitle of your book, The 20 Questions, the first uh, part of it is Christian Resistance, which of course is the title of your new book as well. And I'm wondering, I know it's not something political, but what, what do you mean by Christian Resistance? Yeah, it really isn't political at all. It's it's a matter of the way I usually conceptualize it is uh, think of a dam, and and there is a uh, you know there's this huge structure that is holding back the massive pressure of water, but the dam and the water are always touching, and so part of the dam's job is to hold its shape, even against the tremendous pressure that the water is putting on it, and so to me, Christian resistance is more like that. Christians need to be able to hold their shape despite the tremendous pressures that the outside culture is putting onto us. We need to be able to look like Christ in the midst of a fallen world. And so Christian resistance is really just about making sure that we don't fold in on ourselves, that we don't start to conform to the image of the world as opposed to conforming to the image of Christ. And as we think about AI and technology, you can see how it'd be very easy for us to not even be uh, so enamored with it, that we want to do this, but just to be so inundated with it that we begin to look a li- little less like Christ and a lot more like the world. Well, h- how do you define AI? And then uh, I should ask you, how, to, how does it define itself? You you asked it. You asked Chat. Uh, <laughs> I did GBT. ask you, yeah. I did ask ChatGBT. Uh, the way I think about artificial intelligence, so this is, um, to their credit, this is the way that ChatGPT generally responded as well. Uh, artificial intelligence mimics a certain aspect of human thought. So think of it like our deductive reasoning. Uh, If we wanted to do a a series of problems or analyze a text or do a math problem or run a budget or anything like that, we're using a particular, particular aspect of our brain. And that aspect really deals with uh, probabilities. It deals with um, analytical reasoning. It deals with um, understanding what word is going to come after another, what sentence should follow after another. There's a, a broad logic to it. Artificial intelligence mimics that aspect of our thought. And I say mimics in this sense. It doesn't get there the same way that our brains necessarily get there. And even making that claim is a little tough because the reality is there's very little understanding of how our brains actually work. There's no unified theory even within cognitive psychology that would say this is exactly how humans think. This is exactly how we learn. This is exactly how we reason things through. And so artificial intelligence is able to produce results through a sophisticated modeling of probability and statistics that mirror and mimic products that our brains would come up with. And that's what artificial intelligence really is. And it relies on the Internet. Right, it has total access to the internet. Is really where it gets its its information to analyze in that way. Yes, there's a there's a database behind it. Some of them have full access in the internet. Other others of them have, um, you know, a more constrained set of data. But yes, they're overlaid on top of data. They're looking at all that data and they're drawing their conclusions. They're essentially you could think about it as like developing patterns off of that data. Yes. And what would you say at the top here, too? And I think this might go to the, the, the mission of the D.L. Moody Center, but uh, people listening to this that might say, well, I, I've, I've maybe heard of this. Why should this be even of any concern to me as a Christian? I mean, that might be fine for may, maybe certain people to talk about or, uh, you know, a- academics or something. But uh, d- the way I live my day to day life, I, I don't know if this has any any bearing on my uh, life as a Christian. 
You know, one of the things D.L. Moody talked about during his ministry was the distraction that Christians tend to get into. And he talked about the YMCA and even the women's suffrage movement as being distracted from the gospel because they were trying to, um, you know, change the world around them in very particular ways. And so the gospel becomes secondary, whereas something like the abolition of, of drinking or, um, you know, different, different social issues would become the primary thing. He wasn't against those social movements. What he was against was putting the gospel beneath those social movements. And I think with artificial intelligence, it's within that spirit that I'm addressing it, is that I don't necessarily want to demonize artificial intelligence. I don't think it's the most horrible thing that could ever happen to Christians ever. But what I do think is that often Christians don't notice when something comes around that is actually diminishing our faith and putting Christ in a secondary position, as opposed to putting Christ in the primary position and everything else being nested within our faith in him. Uh, how, how do you feel artificial intelligence, which is, I, I want to ask you about this too, it's, it's, it's operating on so many levels in our society, kind of under the radar that we may not even be aware of, but how, how do you feel it's diminishing or potentially diminishing our faith? Well, there's a few different places. Um, I, I think my top one, honestly, are the uh, AI-generated sermon helps. Oh. Uh, you know, there's there was a 2014 study, I believe it was from Lifeway Research, that talked about the most thriving churches, their pastors spend about 22 hours a week in sermon preparation. And so the, the lower, the less thriving churches, their pastors spend about four hours a week mm. in sermon preparation. And so here we are in the age of AI, and we're trying to make sermon preparation more efficient. We're trying to get our pastor to spend less time in the Word of God and more time doing other things. And the data just demonstrates, at least that 2014 data demonstrates, that there was a correlation between the time spent in sermon preparation, the, long, the more time spent, up to at least 22 hours, was correlated with a more thriving church. And so here's an instance where AI, quote-unquote, solutions are being put forward that may very well be detrimental to the thriving of our churches. That's one area that I see. I think other areas that I see are just sort of, you know, the normal kinds of things that you would expect to see. You know, text to Jesus, AI Jesus. Um, these, are, these are now presentations of Jesus in the public and cultural realm that are so far removed from any sort of biblical picture of Jesus, that they have, there's no way they're not going to skew people's perception of who Jesus is. Now, that may be more or less widespread, but I think it's certainly something that Christians should be aware of and recognize that AI is not being as neutral as we might want it to be. It's actually stepping in to that, that sort of let's frame Jesus in a particular way sort of space. And I, I would say the third thing I'm worried about is this idea of, of AI being neutral and unbiased. Um, it's something that I've dealt with a number of different times. And what I would say about it is, you know, there's no sense in which anyone talking, including me, is neutral and unbiased. The information we select to share reflects our bias. It reflects what we feel is relevant at the moment. And so when AI is providing information to people, it's doing that selection process for us. And there have been times when I've asked artificial intelligence, chat GPT in particular, to generate a response where the religious aspects are completely left out. 
you know, how is it that I could manage my anxiety, ChatGPT? And it'll list, you know, 10 things, including things like yoga or breathing techniques or what have you. But it leaves out prayer. It leaves out religious participation. Well, those things in the data are actually more effective than breathing or yoga. And yet ChatGPT leaves them out. It's an inherent bias within the system. These things are not un unbiased. They're not neutral. And nothing is. We need to stop making bias and neutrality, you know, or, or lack of neutrality, some sort of boogeyman. We're all speaking from a point of view, and we should not expect uh, an artificial intelligence that's been trained by humans to be neutral and unbiased. Well, well, the booklet is 20 Questions, Christian Resistance, Technology, and Artificial Intelligence. We're talking with Dr. James Spencer about it. He is president of the D.L. Moody Center. He's also written uh, a number of other books. One question uh, people always think when, they, when, when, a, when a new product comes out or new technology, follow the money. Wh who's benefiting financially from the development of AI, I mean, it's not just simply done as to, to benefit humanity, <laughs> right? It's not. It's not a wholly benevolent exercise. Yes. Um, yes. I think there. There. I would imagine that tech companies are seeing major benefits from artificial intelligence. Otherwise, they would not either. Either they're realizing those now, or they're seeing them in the future. And so, I think a lot of this is moving toward um, a space where. And I almost hate to frame it like this, where big business will benefit from artificial intelligence and ordinary citizens will ultimately, I think we'll see a benefit short term, but long term, I think that this is going to be real detrimental to the every, every person, right? Who doesn't own a business, who isn't the head of a big media conglomerate, who isn't, you know, whatever. Um, I think it's going to be very detrimental and I think it's going to be detrimental on a number of levels, not just fiscally. Um, economics are certainly a factor. I think there will be people who lose jobs and whether or not those jobs can be replaced is a, a whole different question that um, nobody really can answer. But I would also just say that as artificial intelligence takes over, we have to be thinking about what gives our life meaning and purpose. Work has traditionally been something that, and I think within the Christian tradition, mm -hmm. work is something that defines who we are as human beings. It helps us make sense of what we're doing here in the midst of God's creation. And so if we continually farm things out to computers and technology to make our lives easier and more efficient, I think eventually what we're going to find is that those easy and efficient lives have very little purpose and meaning. And so, you know, the benefits I think will be uh, realized in sort of broad terms. I think that many people within the technology sector, maybe the manufacturing sector as, as robots sort of, you know, are, are used more frequently. I think they'll benefit greatly because robots are just, they're more efficient than humans. That's just a reality. Um, but I think that overall as a society and as individual human beings, we're going to realize a real downside to giving away part of the automation that we're giving away. I, I think we need work. I think we need process. Um, the analogy I usually use, I'm big into weight training and I love weight training. I used to be a personal trainer. I don't think I ever brought a client in and said, Hey, just stand on the side of the gym and let me lift the weights for you and <laughs> watch me. Yeah. There's right. There's no benefit for them in that. And, and so they have to actually put forward the effort in order to see progress and gains. And I, I think there are a lot of mental activities that we're discounting 
and saying, oh, no, if I just watch it or if I just get the product, that's okay. It's really not. I, I think we're going to regret giving away some of the things that we're giving away. And I think you raised the issue of decision making. If we're Absolutely. constantly going and asking for advice, helping us to make decisions, that that ability, that that uh, whatever those those mental muscles are, uh, I would think it will atrophy. To use a, a physical uh, parallel, yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, there was a book written, um, and I, I'm uh, Marianne Wolf uh, was the author. It was called Proust and the Squid, and she talks about the development of the reading brain. And as we have implemented more audio and visual um, technology within our society for students to learn, uh, there's no guarantee that they'll be able to read long form in print. That literacy, that aspect of literacy may very well just not develop physiologically, biologically in their brains. These are not things we're not born, in other words, with a reading brain. Our brain has to be trained to read. And so the more we give away to artificial intelligence, I think we can expect that we will start to give away aspects of our mind, just physiologically and biologically, that we may not want to give up. You, you say also in your booklet, 20 Questions, Christian Resistance, Technology, and Artificial Intelligence, which, just parenthetically here, is available free through the D.L. Moody Center, right? They can just uh, go to your website right. and download it. Yep. MoodyCenter.org. They can download it for free. It's available and accessible for free. All you have to do is put in your email, and you can download the booklet. Yep. Well, you write in it that it, that uh, AI seems to be linked to a utopian vision of reality. What, what does that mean? <laughs> well, I think what we're envisioning is a time when humanity, there will be no more poverty, there will be no more pain, there will be no more death. And this sort of ties into the transhumanist movement. Transhumanism is the sort of uh, merging of technology with biology to elongate, if not um, make eternal life. Now, from a Christian perspective, we obviously have a problem with that. We, we think that the wages of sin is death. And so unless you can overcome sin, you won't overcome death. But I, I think this is the sort of utopian strategy of artificial intelligence where we'll be all living lives of relative leisure, that we will find these sort of um, spaces and, and niches where we can be just be creative, where we can just, you know, think uh, interesting thoughts and AI will be taking care of all the mundane things that we've ever wanted to do. In my experience, just personally, I think creativity benefits from constraint. It benefits from effort. It benefits from obstacles. And so I'm less interested in a life of, you know, total leisure. I like my vacations as much as anybody else. <laughs> sure. But but I still want to slog through a really heavy book. You know, I want to engage in some interesting topics. I want to put the work in in the gym. Like, I don't want AI taking care of all of those things for me. And, but I think that there is a utopian vision of this where it says, all of these burdens that humans currently deal with, we will be disemburdened of. And it will usher in this new age, sort of like the Enlightenment, and, and, and everything will, will flourish. And just from a biblical and theological perspective, I would personally say that is an unrealistic vision. And it is an unrealistic goal. These things are not going to usher in new ages of human flourishing because, or maybe I should say it, unless they lead us to Christ. 
if they don't lead us to Christ, there is not going to be a new age of human flourishing. That is the end-all, be-all question. And I think right now AI is being formulated to um, lead us toward self-sufficiency as opposed to dependence on Jesus Christ. And the problem with that, I think you lay out, is it leaves out the fallenness of the world. It's trying to fix the world without addressing what the Bible actually says is the problem. That's right. I think you know a lot of the problems that artificial intelligence seeks to solve are true problems. Uh, they're not, you know, artificial intelligence is not deviant. Uh, I hear a lot of people talking about uh, the people who are developing artificial intelligence as horrible human beings and, you know, sort of agents of Satan or what have you. I tend to view them as recognizing a real human predicament and working within a limited data set to solve that real human predicament. They don't have the benefit of divine revelation. And so if they don't know who Jesus is, and they don't know what solution he's bringing. What other option do they have but to develop technologies to come up with human strategies to overcome the problems that they're facing? Artificial intelligence is, to some degree, a tool that is unlike a hammer or a fork, mm -hmm. right? It sort of it, it sort of plays back on us and influences us in ways that are different than a hammer and a fork. Um, but it, it is a tool to try to overcome some of the challenges that we see as humanity. The problem with it is that because fallen humanity is creating it, they're ignoring the solution that has already been given, which is faith in Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the dead, the the new create the creation of the new heavens and the earth, and the the real solution of just obeying God's commands, even when it's inconvenient. That is the secret sauce for human flourishing. Well, you write uh, in your booklet, 20 Questions, uh, Christian Resistance, Technology, and Artificial Intelligence, about the vulnerable world hypothesis, the mm. VWH. I'd never heard of it. Probably most people listening have never heard of it. What is it, and why is it important? Yeah, it's by a gentleman, a Swiss philosopher named uh, Nick Bostrom, and he puts forward that um, given the, the, the rate of technological advancement, and he would construe technology much more broadly than just a device. He talks about ideologies and organizational designs and social structures and those kind of things as technologies. Um, but he says at the pace at which technology grows, it is likely that we will create a technology that will bring about civilizational devastation. Mm. And so he thinks that without correcting and out, without policing, without without additional forethought, that the pace at which technology is being implemented, that it's much more likely that we will create something that will be detrimental to ourselves than it is that we will create something that will be beneficial. And so he sees that, you know, sort of civilization death as a 50 percent decrease in the gross product of any given nation. And I think it's a 50% um, death rate, something mm. like that. You know, for Christians, I think we should redefine what that means, what civilization death really is. And to me, what we what we need to think about in terms of is theological terms. So for me, the vulnerable uh, world hypothesis is a matter of we are currently at risk and always have been at risk of denying God and his son, Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we are obviously going to exacerbate our problem. So to me, the real root issue is that we are deceiving ourselves that we can fix the world that is so broken only God can fix it. And interestingly enough, um, artificial intelligence, of course, is it has its uh, role in social media 
and sure. in, in m- much of what happens there. And I mean, there it is, kind of under the radar. I mean, out of our view, and not, we, it's happening. It's being used. We're interacting with yeah. it. And we don't even realize it. And I, I think one of the oddest things I've seen lately has been an artificial intelligence model that will, while you're sleeping, this is what the advertisement said, while you're sleeping, it will write your Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever posts for you and post them to your accounts. And I'm kind of sitting back and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, so the name social media is really kind of a misnomer at this point. It's not exactly social media. It's AI populated media. Yeah. And, you know, as soon as we get AIs that are able to read through all of those different posts and maybe synthesize some of the important information for us, all we've done is we've created more distance between us than we had before. Now, maybe in social media, more distance is a good thing, right? I mean, um, <laughs> right. be happy to avoid the the trolls on social media and the people who are just out there to, you know, create, you know, raise problems and create havoc. Uh, but I, I think in other areas of our lives, we'd be really, I think we'll ultimately regret distancing ourselves from one another. I, I wrote a, an op-ed piece here recently on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I said, what if we replace the par- the Good Samaritan in that parable with an AI-enabled robot? And the AI-enabled robot goes and takes care of the guy who's been beaten up on the side of the road, and he takes him to a hospital, and you know he, he cares for him. Who is the neighbor in that story? I'm not sure there is one. Hmm. When we farm ourselves out so much, when we outsource so much to artificial intelligence that we're incapable of being neighborly, we have absolutely gone too far. Well, in the end, uh, how, how would you recommend the, the the average believer who wants to be aware of these things, who wants to think it through, or even Christian churches? What would how would you advise our posture be toward AI? As it's obviously you say it's in its early stages; it's just kind of getting going. Yeah. Number one, I, I think one of my encouragements that I give to people, which is, may sound a little odd, is I say don't avoid it. Uh, I think if you try to avoid all AI, you're going to end up sort of isolated in a room by yourself. I mean, yeah. never talking to anyone, <laughs> right? Um, you know, you you live, you move to a cabin in a forest. Uh, if you can, sure, go for it. But I think for most of us, the reality of artificial intelligence is that it's integrated in so many of the technology systems that we use on a daily basis, even things like Microsoft Word or Microsoft Excel. You know, that are just sort of part of the warp and woof of our daily workday. That we shouldn't just automatically try to avoid all artificial intelligence. I think that's a mistake. What I would say is that we need to exercise great discretion in the AI that we adopt voluntarily. And so if we if we feel like we need something to be more efficient, that's when we need to look to a technology and say, do we need this to be more efficient? How is this going to impact my life? What room is it going to give me? Let's just be discerning about how we go about doing that. On the other side of it, what I would what I would argue is that we need to recognize that process matters. And so as Christians are thinking about what AI to adopt, I have never written anything that I have put into chat GPT. I write everything that I write myself, and I probably will never use artificial intelligence to write things, no matter how efficient it gets. It's just the process does something to me that I don't want to give up. Mm-hmm. So I'd say those two poles, don't try to avoid it, but be discerning in what you pick up. Make sure that the process that you're going through is actually formative for you and start paying attention to the processes that we need to go through. Those are all important aspects for Christians to think about. And then on an organizational level at the church, um, in the local church arena, here's what I would say. 
not every problem calls for a technological solution, but most problems are most easily solved with a technological solution. So if my pastor is overworked, it's much easier for me to think, well, if he could get a sermon preparation down from 22 hours to four hours, he's had plenty of time during the week. That's a technological solution to a problem, but it isn't exactly going to get me the outcome that I want. And so on that organizational level, don't confuse every problem is a technological problem. Not every problem is a technological problem. At some point, Christians, and I talked to myself on this too, we just need to step up in churches. And so sometimes it's just about putting our own skin in the game, putting more effort in. Sometimes it's a human resource problem, not a technology problem. And so let's not confuse when we're looking at our churches and our organizations a a you know a problem that does that could benefit maybe from a technological solution isn't necessarily a problem that needs to be solved by a technological solution. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. James Spencer, president of the D.L. Moody Center and author of The Guide, 20 Questions, Christian Resistance, Technology, and Artificial Intelligence. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at the same time for another edition of His People. His People.